0: who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Edward Shannon, welcome to Entre Architect Podcast.
1: It is great to be here, Mark.
0: Edward J. Shannon, AIA, is a sole practitioner architect. He's based in Des Moines, Iowa. His practice specializes in small projects consisting of light commercial, residential, and historic preservation. He prides himself on being a sole practitioner. And he sees the solopreneur model as an asset instead of a liability. Edward has uh, was an assistant professor of architecture at Judson University where he taught professional practice and helped the program earn its NAAB accreditation. Uh, and he's recently published a book. It's called The Soul Practitioner Architect. It's a guide to dedicated to successful practice as a solopreneur architect. So he's dedicated to this thing being a solopreneur architect. He's passionate about it. He's a friend of mine. He's been a part of the Entree Architect community for a very long time, way back from when we, when we started, back when it was blog days, he was part of the comment section in the blog. So Edward's been around for a long time. So Edward, thank you for joining us here today mm-hmm. at Entree Architect Podcast. It's been a long time to get you here.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
0: true, I, yeah. I, I'd love to to learn more about you. I'd love for you to share your origin story. So go back to where you discovered architecture and what or who inspired you to become an architect and then share that journey to where you are now. Okay,
1: great. Well, I, I'm going to go uh, way back. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in the uh, Chicago suburb of River Forest. And right next to it is is Oak Park. Uh, our house was five blocks from Oak Park. Um and um uh we'd uh my mother we'd drive to my grandmother's house once or twice a week and we'd go by past the Frank Lloyd Wright home and studio. And uh my mom would point it out. Uh, she would say, That's a famous builder. His name is Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> and I think she just thought architect was too big a word for us kids. Yeah. On my dad's side, uh my my uh my grandfather uh started a lumber company in 1939. My dad took over the business uh in the 60s and so i was surrounded by construction um my my grandfather uh was very successful with the lumberyard and he built a what i call mid-century modern house um it was two over from uh, frank lloyd wright's uh, winslow house
0: wow. uh,
1: which is frank lloyd wright's first major commission so um <clears throat> my brother and i would ride our tricycles around the planter of the Winslow House, not knowing it was designed by this famous architect. So I grew up in Oak Park River Forest, uh, which is an architecturally rich place. Um, but I like to uh, joke, and this is kind of, there's a serious part to this too. Um, the first time I ever knew who, anyone that was really an architect was from the show, The Brady Bunch. Right. And uh, I asked my mom, I said, what does Mr. Brady do? And I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. And she said, he's a modern architect. And I said, well, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a modern architect because they'd show different episodes. He'd be, you know, with a model of a building. Yeah. All that." So I had this construction background. My dad <clears throat> uh, built an addition on our house when I was in sixth grade. I was out there with the carpenters every day after school. Check, I was just fascinated by the construction, framing, everything. Uh, when I was probably a freshman in high school, my dad built another house in Wisconsin, a summer home, and we'd go up every two or three weeks, and I, and I was just fascinated with that. Took drafting in high school, had a great drafting teacher, um, and uh, I'm going to back up for a little bit. Um, somehow during my freshman, sophomore year of high school, uh, if you didn't want to go to study hall, you could go to the library. And I was not the most studious kid. And I would go to the library and somehow I wandered over to the architecture section. And uh, my high school, Oak Park River Forest High School, had a huge architecture library selection. Somehow I picked up a book on Mies van der Rohe. I saw the Farnsworth house. I saw just the clarity of his floor plans. You know, I, I, I was just mesmerized by it. And I would play with legos and I remember going home and trying to build the farnsworth house out of legos anyway when I we, we would take at our high school you'd take a year of drafting and then you could go into the architecture part uh, and I did that junior and senior year um, the, the guy who taught Mr. Urbanic who taught the architecture drafting had graduated from with a degree in architecture from IIT Mies van der Rohe school he had taught there for 25 years. Uh, we would have architects coming into our classroom in high school. Um, one guy's dad worked for Harry Weason Associates. We'd have people from SOM. We toured architects' offices. He gave us the lowdown on becoming a licensed architect, and that there were three schools in the state of Illinois that had it. He also said something that spoke to me because I wasn't that studious, and I, particularly my first two years of high school, I wasn't that serious. And he said, uh, he said, anybody can become an architect if they want it bad enough. And he said, uh, Triton College, which was our community college, offers a two-year theater program. He said, we're gonna go over there next week and tour it. So he, he would take a, you you take yeah, we kind of as much as we could thought, you know, we're really exposed to architecture, which I thought everyone in high school had. Right. That. right exactly. And most people have a shop, you know, instructor teaching them. You know this. Um, my uh, I was able to get a job with an architecture firm uh, the summer between my junior and senior year of high school uh, because my dad's cousin was a home builder. Got a job with his architecture firm, and I basically ran prints and did deliveries. A little little bit of drafting, but um, uh, it really exposed me to to architecture. Um, to kind of a side, I didn't really care too much for, which was production housing. You know, they did a lot of spec houses. Yeah, they had a few custom homes in the office, but mainly where they were you know, kind of cranking out these little little spec houses. Um, uh, two of the guys there went to Iowa State University, and when after I went to the community college for a year, I really wanted to get out of Chicago. I wanted the the uh, the university kind of lifestyle and. Uh, Iowa State, I visited the school, uh, just kind of fell in love with it. So went to uh, Iowa State for undergrad. I graduated in 86, spent a few years interning both in uh, San Francisco and Chicago, went back because I I just did that four-year degree, went back to graduate school at Virginia Tech, um, which really, uh, they taught me how to design. They They, they taught me how to look at architecture kind of formally as a as a form you know kind of a form centered design and in, instead of kind of a plan you know floor plan centered right. yep. design they, they taught me that you know and so um graduated from there in in 92 right in the middle of a of a recession i was all excited to go you know back to chicago was hoping to go you know work for kind of a small boutique firm my portfolio really looked great um, and it took me 11 months to find a job uh, in that recession. Uh, I ended up getting a, a job with a school firm uh, about 35 miles outside of Chicago in Elgin, Illinois. Uh, growing up in Oak Park, I heard of Elgin. I had no idea where it was, um, but Elgin would kind of come back to me. I, I worked for that firm for about three years. And then uh, during that time, my, my parents built a house on the lake and I got to design it and teamed up with a friend of mine who was starting his own practice and he kind of helped with the construction documents. Um, The project ended up getting an AIA award. It ended up uh, being published in a few magazines. Um, I also went to work for another uh, school firm. Uh, in, In total, I did schools for about six years but the second firm I worked for would get like a custom house every year, and I was kind of their guy for, for custom homes. Um, and then, um, you know, by then the economy had gotten better, and I decided um, I thought I, I was ready for a change. And the company I was working for was actually, uh, I, I was working on a house in Arizona, and the stock market took a dip, and I got a call, and the guy said, Put down your pencil were stopping the project. And I could just kind of almost see a layoff on the horizon at this firm because uh, they were kind of notorious for that. So I started looking and as before the internet or anything, I mean, I would go out in my car and use my wife's car phone or cell phone. You know. Anyways, I, I decided I wanted to do residential. I really wanted to, you know, and I went to work for a firm on the North shore of Chicago. I showed them the modern house I designed they showed me a modern house that you know they had designed. I thought this is great. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to be doing these modern homes. So I was there. You know, at the end of my first week, they, uh, the, one of the principals came to me and said, "Okay, I'm going to give you, you know, your own project to work on here." And you, here it is. It's a Georgian house, and I was aghast. I was like, "What did I get myself into?" <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I thought I was going to be doing modern homes. And anyways, I you know, I started working on it, and the first thing I noticed was I really enjoyed working on a project by myself. Uh, in residential, you you really think in three dimensions, uh, which you don't always do that with the school projects. I so mean, the seeds I of, of life
0: so the seeds of that yeah. sole practitioner started to uh, Ex- to take exactly.
1: root exactly. Yep. And the other thing was after about two or three weeks. I started to get really interested in Georgian architecture. And I, you know, I bought some old pattern books and started to kind of get you know, interested in stylistic architecture. And I, my school, my graduate school in particular was very modernist and, you know, and they, they, they did not like, you know, stylistic architecture was kind of beneath them, so to say. But I, I kind of reconciled that with myself and I said, you know, I think there's good stylistic architecture and bad stylistic architecture. And since then, I've gone on to say that you know, modernism is really just another style. So you know, get over it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> whether you're doing whether you're doing uh, you know, you know, modern, neo modern, as I I like to call it, or Tudor or Georgian or Arts and Crafts. You know, you, if you can do it well, and it's particularly if you can go to the the original sources and get your inspiration from there. That so that was. Part of my journey, another thing happened. Uh, I was with this small firm only about a year. Um, they were great with systems. They taught me how to put together CDs. but they showed they would give us their proposal, which was actually an agreement and say, here, you're the project architect. You now here's the fee. you need to budget this.
0: Well, that's great. Um,
1: I, it was a crash course in, in business and system they had some great filing systems. I still use today. It was it was really a great thing. The same time, this uh, Christian Architecture School had opened up a few years prior, Judson College, and I started hanging out there. I wanted I applied there. They said, "Well, you don't have that much teaching experience. We really want to get some guys with teaching experience on the faculty." So, um, but I would go to their lectures, and you know, and they would ask me to be on juries and things like that. And they called me one day and said we've we've got a um a course we want to talk to you about teaching like a materials and methods course so i went out there back and this was back out in elgin elgin illinois this place that i had my first job at yeah. and uh and, and and uh by then my wife and i had actually relocated to the northwest suburb so we were probably about you know 20 minutes from elgin where we lived and um uh We were talking and they, and I, somehow I I said, uh, I I would really like to teach design studio. And they said, well, what would it take for you, you know? And and they said, well, what would it take for you to do that? I said, well, I'd I'd probably have to have my own office, you know, so I could, and these two guys looked at each other, uh, and they, apparently there was a visiting professor who was supposed to come for the following fall and had fallen through. So they both started like talking amongst them. They said, well, he could have Steve's position, you know? And all of a sudden, I walked out of there from going to being like an adjunct faculty with one class to being what they said it will be a half-time faculty position. And I came home. I told my wife. I said, "You're not going to believe what happened, but uh, I got this uh, opportunity here. You know, I can I can teach half-time and." and so i gave the firm i was with this was probably this, during the summer i i i think i gave them a, a 6 week notice i said look i i didn't think i thought i'd stay with you guys a lot longer i'd actually brought in a project for them <laughs> so so i was kind of worried about that uh, i brought in a custom home for them to do uh and uh i said i i didn't think this would happen but i got this really good opportunity and I, and i want to go for it and uh but i'm going to give you you know Six weeks' notice so we can wrap up everything, particularly the project I'm working on, because I want the client to understand that you know, you guys will be taking this over, I'll be you know, moving on. And then I started teaching and practicing um part time, so I had the half time teaching, I had the half time practice. I so like to that,
0: think, was that your first firm? Is that the first that, time that, that
1: was, was Edward J. Firm? Shannon, architect? That was uh, fall of 1999, and um. Uh, I started, and, and one of the things I, one of the things I should mention too, I had been very active in the local AIA chapter and I'd met a lot of architects. And when I started on my own, I called some of the architects I knew to tell them and they were all commercial architects and almost all of them referred little additions yeah. and yeah. things like that to me. So it was a, it was a nice way to, to start out.
0: So, so you, so you, so you're you're teaching at uh, Judson and started your own practice. Um, and how did that go? How did? What's the story well, from that I, I point that to where you six, are now? I did that
1: for six. I did that for six years, and I was going to say, you know, half time teaching. And it actually, I, I went full time with the college for a couple of years, and that was kind of a kind of a disaster because I really couldn't do the the practice that well. They they expect you to be on. Campus five days a week and go to all kinds of meetings and stuff like that. So, um, uh, but even doing it kind of half and half, it was more like one and a half and one and a half. And, it, it, you know, so there's three quarters and three quarters. I mean, it was like you had, you know, and it was just, it was really tough on me. Um, and I decided to, you know, I uh, went through some personal things. I went through a divorce, unfortunately and decided it was maybe just time to have one job and a paycheck coming from someone else. So I went to work for a design build company, uh, big design build company that did uh, 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 additions. That's all they did was additions. They did 350 additions a year. They had a design staff of 65. I was one of six senior architects, project architects. Um, I was there a year. This was uh, 2005, 2006. And the phone had stopped ringing there and their sales volume went way down and, and everyone was kind of scratching their heads wondering what was going on. And uh, turns out I, you know, I had a friend who was a residential architect. I talked to him and he said, our phone stopped ringing. Like we, we used to get a call every day. We, you know, now it's like once every two weeks. Uh, and, you know, we were seeing kind of the beginning of the recession in 2006 for, for architects, you know. I mean, we were seeing the slowdown without really knowing what exactly what it was. Nonetheless, I got laid off after being there for a year. Was able to get on with another design-build company for about three years, kind of a high-end North Shore, Chicago design-build company. We had a six million dollar house and a four and a half million dollar addition that kept the design department afloat during that time. Uh, We, I, I kind of managed the. Design department of seven, and we never broke even every week. So eventually, got laid off from that. Now it's 2010. What am I going to do? I'm single. I have no income. I I started looking back. I thought, well, I have teaching experience. You know, I maybe I can get back into teaching. So knowing that, that puts you in kind of a national or regional job search. Um, I did that and got hired by a. Uh, junior college in Waterloo, Iowa, moved there in 2010, taught for only two years. Unfortunately, they decided that they were gonna uh, abolish the uh, drafting program. So, you know, 2012, I found myself, you know, basically on the street again, on the streets again, and was, you know, just looking for any job and happened to get a job in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, um, uh, moved here. That'd be eight and a half years ago. Worked for the firm for uh four years, did a brief stint with a uh, kind of an engineering design build company that didn't work out. And uh we're almost coming up on it. April 3rd, uh let's see, 2017. Uh, I relaunched uh, my practice and uh um uh I, I, I basically got let go from this company, and I came home at 10:30 in the morning. Started calling everyone I knew, and um, I happened to call—yeah, you know, mostly architects, builders, anyone I knew—saying I'm going to start my own thing. You know, and uh, you know, do you have anything you could help me? One guy said, "Yeah, we—I'm working on this museum project. We need some drafting help." Okay. Three days later, I'm in a meeting with you know three other architects, um, and we're doing this museum project. And it was supposed to be a three week project. They went through a bunch of changes. It turned into I think eleven or twelve weeks, but it it was just steady income. It wasn't that much money, um, but and that's you know when, when I I talk about starting your own practice as a as a sole practitioner, or or being a sole practitioner, you you know sometimes you you have to go there
0: you
1: you know you have to uh if if your work you know starts to dip or something um you know when when we went through the pandemic a year ago, I had a big project that was cancelled uh that was supposed to really be kind of the uh, you know almost a six month project and I called four architects I knew, and I just you know told them what happened and i said do you, you know do you have any, do you need any help you know knowing I'm not going to make as much as I do on my own, uh, knowing it's probably not as fulfilling as working, you know, for myself, but knowing that, that you, you you have to do that. And one of the guys, we kind of, we kind of do that with each other. I mean, he'll call me, you know, I'll call him and, you know, we help each other. Sometimes I bring, you know, sometimes it's just, can you help me? I'm going to field measure a house and I really need another, another hand here and, you know, he's there for me. So we kind of got to, uh, mutual uh, kind of agreement or, you know, where we help each other out. Um, but uh, that's, that's when I relaunched my, my practice.
0: And went all in as a sole practitioner, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Went you know, all in. I mean, you, you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that sometimes you end up as a sole practitioner by default and you are now an advocate for choosing to be a sole practitioner by choice, um, that you have become an advocate for the sole practitioners in the profession. I uh, have written a book called The Sole Practitioner Architect, A Guide to the Solopreneur. Um, and you have a Facebook group now, the, the Sole Practitioner Architects uh, Facebook group, and uh, and have learned and built a, a successful solopreneur architecture firm for yourself, and now teaching others how to do that as well. Um, and so that story that you just told is is there's lots of ups and downs and lots of lessons learned, um, and today, you know it, you know I've known you a long time. You for me uh, feel like you have found your place, like this. You're comfortable with where you are. You're comfortable with the with the the firm you've built, so much so that you want to encourage others to to do similar things. And so um i wanted to have you come on the podcast and share some of that share mm-hmm. some of your thoughts generally about being a sole practitioner and mm-hmm. choosing to be a sole practitioner and then maybe we can uh you know give them a, a few tips a few sure. suggestions on how to do it successfully so i just generally you know if there's a if there are young architects out there that's starting their own firm or somebody who's been working for somebody else for a long time and thinking about starting their own firm. Uh, And there's that question on, should I become a sole practitioner and just practice myself or should I start a firm with the intent of growing? Um, That's a choice, right? That's a choice that we need to make. And so what is your thought on that idea of intentionally starting as a sole practitioner?
1: Well, um, I I think my first thought is that it, it can be a destination and i and i talk about that you know that that uh, i mean i think a lot of people think it is just a stepping stone right to, to something bigger and um one of the first in opening of the book i opened with this dialogue it was at a architect's foundation christmas party and uh an older retired architect came up to me and we, you know, we introduced each other and he said, so who do you work for? And I said, uh, well, I work for myself. And he said, well, well, how I, you know, first of all, he'd never heard of me or my firm. And in Des Moines, there's you know, maybe 40 firms. So usually people have heard of each other. And he said, well, how big is your firm? And I said, well, it's just me. And his jaw kind of dropped. <laughs> and he said, Oh, that must poor. be really hard
0: poor you soul yeah,
1: yes yeah that must be that must be really hard and i was a little embarrassed i i didn't have a snappy comeback you know it's one of those uh you know you have those george Costanza moments where he's like, i should have said this i should have right. you know, yep. so um I, you know i and i think about it i think, well what i should have said was hey designing and drafting isn't that hard for me Managing people and payrolls is hard for me. Okay. So, so I I like what I do, you know. Um and uh but um you know I, I think back to your question too is just kind of how do you start? And that there's no perfect way to start. There's no, you know, I, I mean if you can line up work, that's great. One of the things I, I strongly recommend um you you, you know if if you don't have deep pockets you need to be married to someone who at least has a, a steady income cuz you know it it cash flow can be really hard at the beginning
0: a lot of ups and downs
1: a lot of ups and downs and um you know it if if you can go through savings really easily uh one thing i didn't mention was the the first time i got laid off in uh 2007 I thought I would start my own practice again, and I went through a, a twenty-five thousand dollar line of credit in three months, you oh. know, just like that. I mean, I had no, you know, I mean, because you know, the 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 company I'd worked for had laid me off, but I thought, well, maybe it's just you know their business practices or something. Um, the phone wasn't ringing, you know, so um, uh, you know, it, it. I, I mean, I. Set myself up, got a nice office, did everything I, you know, nice business cards, you know, stationery, you know, everything, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and ironically, I'd been freelancing kind of for a company and they called me and said, you know, we want to hire you full time. And I was kind of like, why didn't you tell me three months ago? <laughs> I wouldn't would have done this. But but, um, but there is no perfect way to start. There, there You know, um, there's an old saying I read in a practice book once. It's like, you know, the first job is easy to get, the first project. It's usually for friends and family. The second project is tough to get, you know. I mean, that's usually, you know, when, you know. Um, so... I think there's just a lot of things you you, you can do and, and one of them is being open to, you know, kind of consider yourself a freelancer, you know, at least for the first year or two, that you're going to, you know, you're going to try to line up your own projects, but at the same time, you're going to freelance for other other architects.
0: Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email. It's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates, and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. So I, I wanted to, um, you know, I read the book and I wanted to go through some of the takeaways that you Mm -hmm. share in that book. Um, can you maybe share three or four or five takeaways that, uh, someone who wants to practice as a solopreneur, um, can, you know, can learn today and then also know that, you know, they can buy the book and then they can dive a little bit deeper in each one of those.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, sure. The first is, um, while you practice alone, you are not alone. There are a ton of sole practitioners out there. AIA, uh, salary surveys and firm surveys say that about 30% of AIA member, architecture firms are are one person. And then another 30% are like two to five people. So um, you're, you know, when, and when I first saw that statistic, um, that kind of blew my mind because I I, I really, you know, I thought, okay, if there's, if 30% of these practices are one person, that means there's a marketplace out there for one person firms. That means it's a legitimate, you know, uh, business model. And, um, and, and if you like it, if you like, you know, practicing your craft versus managing people, um, it's, it's a legitimate way to make a living.
0: Yeah. And it's Um, not the same. It's not, you, you, you can't run a sole practitioner firm the same way you run, you know, a firm with 10 or 15 people. It's a different business. Um, and going into it, understanding that will help you be more successful. So, so actually sticking to the, you know, that you're not alone, um, are there suggestions is, you know, first of all, I would imagine that that might be one of the biggest challenges other than the financial challenge, but let's put the financial challenge to the side for now is, is being alone, that isolation, one of the biggest challenges of being a sole practitioner architect.
1: Uh, it, it, it can be, I suppose I'm very extroverted. I, uh, and I come to work almost all, I have a, I have an office partner. I, I, but for the first two and a half years I did this, I was working out of the attic of my bungalow. And, uh, now probably, you know, not every day, but you know, I'd, I'd go have coffee with someone, you know, or something. I also got involved in chamber of commerce and another kind of yeah. real estate networking group and kind of before and after hours things would, would go, uh, meet people. I love, I love meeting people.
0: Yeah. So So you have to be intentional about getting out and meeting people and and making sure that you're not, you're not in your office 24 hours a day. Although, you know, in the past year, year and a half, (laughs) that's, that's sort of been forced on all of us, but, but generally, um, you know, it's a great way to, uh, to build into your daily schedule to make sure that you're out sort of networking right. and, and with other people.
1: And I think our community, you know, your community, Entree Architect, the sole practitioners community. Yeah. Uh, shout out to our friend Enoch Sears and his business of architecture. Yes, yeah. I mean, we've got these communities, that right? You can kind of tap in. You can, you know, vent. <laughs> There's a lot of venting. Uh, you can ask question, you know, legitimate questions. You could share, you know, what's been, you know, what's worked well. You know, you had a great day. These are huge things, I think, for a sole practitioner that that weren't there, you know, uh, uh, years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so it's great to have the the, the community. Um, I find I have to kind of turn it off and focus on work, exactly, um, yeah. you know, during kind of, you know, I'll, I'll come back at noon or something. Um, but uh, cause it can, it can be, you know, pretty consuming and just, you know, and, and distracting quite frankly. And that's, you know, that's part of being a sole practitioner is that, you know, if I'm not earning, if I'm not producing, there ain't no money coming in. You know, I mean that, you know, I'm trying to say that as bluntly as I can, but uh, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not grinding, you know, nothing's coming in. So, uh, you know, I have to be really, really careful with my time. And, um, you know, I can't, you know, I I can't think of it like, well, this is all kind of business development and, you know, I've got, you know, four junior architects cranking out work and they're going to, you know, making money for me. You don't have that when you're on your own.
0: So, um, Although you work alone, you're not alone. Is the first takeaway. Right. The mm-hmm. the second takeaway is what? What's the next? The next takeaway um, that we should be looking
1: at about? looking at the SPA with sole practitioner architecture as a destination, um, and and not not a stepping stone, but as a legitimate you know legitimate business. And I I kind of mentioned you know this, but you know for me it's about practicing my craft. Um, I just was finishing up on an electrical plan this morning. I like doing BIM. I I don't have, I don't have, I don't find it tedious or anything. I don't find it beneath me. I'm connected to my projects. I like, I like doing everything. I I really do. Um, You know, uh, not managing, not managing people and payrolls. I've, I've kind of, you know, mentioned that, but you know, this, this is, this can be a destination in the book i talk about that but i also at the end of the book i say well you know things change you know i mean um things evolve. you you might you know do this for 5 years 8 years or something and then there's a change it could happen to me i don't know i don't yeah. i'm not counting on it but it could, it's a ch- you know it's a,
0: uh, it, it, yeah it's a choice to to uh <laughs> to start your practice that way and um i often ask architects to prepare a business plan with an idea of you know in the next what's the next three years look like um, but I always say that that plan is just a just a map right it's a it's a check-in so when those opportunities come you have an opportunity to go back to that plan and say is this an opportunity that I want to pursue or not and so it's very similar where if you choose to become a sole practitioner architect and this other opportunity comes along that plan gives you that that check, right? Do I want to continue to be a sole practitioner architect or do I want to take this opportunity? Um, it's all, you know, you and I are similar ages. We've started our our practices or our careers around the same time. Um, we know that it's a journey, right? It's this up and down and different routes and different opportunities come along and and it, there is no straight line. It just doesn't exist. It's It's this curvy squiggly line. It goes up and down and side and back and forth and um, with a plan, you can sort of end up somewhere where you'd love to be. Um, but, uh, it very, very rarely is a, is it a straight line? So you're not alone. Uh, it's a destination. You could, you know, practicing as a sole practitioner architect could be a destination, uh, should be a destination. If that's what you're choosing, you should commit to it. Uh, so what's your th- third takeaway?
1: Uh, the, seeing the SPA model as an asset, not a liability. Um, well, th- this came. Th- th- this comes from uh, prob- probably, you know, the the weakness of this model, uh, and it's probably obvious, but I'll I'll state it: is that I don't have two or three draftsmen that can you know jump on something and crank something out for so you'll have it by Wednesday. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't have that. Yeah. Um, I really take the time to, before I uh, w- we signed an agreement with a client, uh, to educate them on that. But I also emphasize, here's the upside of it. Here's the upside of it. You're going to get me, in my 25 years of experience, on every aspect of your project. Um, here in Des Moines, we don't have a lot of small firms. Uh, big cities like Chicago had you know just a ton of small firms. Um, so there's there's a lot of Des Moines. Pretty much has mid-sized firms. There's not not a lot of large firms, but they're you know 20, 20, 30 people firms, and um, they get a small project. Uh, generally, you know it it, it goes to their uh, I, I'm going to call them interns, but they're you know the the recent graduates. Or you know, yep. or, or someone like that. That's who. That's who's going to work. So you know, I I tell prospective clients you're going to get me. You're not going to get you know someone who's you know who's doing this as a summer job. And here's here we got a little addition. You know we you know we we do sports facilities, but you know a friend asked us to do an addition. Here's your here's your project. You get me. And you know I also take the time to point out that uh, because probably half of my Two thirds of my residential is that kind of major renovation, major addition, whole house. These projects are not easy. I mean, I've been doing them for 25 years, uh, and they, they are they are not no-brainers. They're not easy. They, you know, this is your house. You know, do you, who do you want to entrust that to? Because I, I you know, uh, they, they are not easy um, you can spend a ton of money and build a flawed addition. So, right. um, you know, uh, you the, the asset is you're getting all that experience on your small project.
0: Yeah. And that becomes part of your brand becomes part of your story. It becomes part of your differentiation of, of, uh, when, when a client is, is considering you versus someone else. Um, you want to highlight that, mm-hmm. that, you know that it is an asset. It's an opportunity to work directly with the decision maker and the, the person that has the 25 years of experience rather than you know working with a larger firm that you know may have more resources but you're not going to get somebody with 25 years of experience to do a, a you know a residential addition. So it's an asset you can look at it that way and present it that way. So do you have any more do you have any other takeaways? Yeah, a couple
1: more I'll, I'll say uh, uh, it's a lifestyle business.
0: What does that mean? Um,
1: well, um, it, it, it really means embracing what it is and, and what, what it is not, you know? And uh, for me, it, you know, get, again, it gets back to, you know, do you, do you wanna practice the craft or not? Um, uh, I, I know I have friends, architects who have worked for, you know, large and mid-sized firms. And they are used to working in teams. Uh, they are used to working on large projects. They they thrive on that. You know this pretty much isn't isn't that. And I'm and I want to just as a little side note, I am talking about the, the what I call the traditional sole practitioner architect. Uh, in my book, we have some case studies of of other models where someone may work for themselves, but they use a lot of you know they do bigger projects with contractors, or you know someone might even uh, do you know just Pure consulting for other for other architects. I knew an architect in uh, Oak Park that did stone cladding. And he was the stone cladding expert, and the firms downtown would go to him. And it was you know he was still a sole practitioner. I'm talking about the traditional sole practitioner model, uh, where you are you know basically you know doing everything and not really relying. You know maybe once in a while relying on contract help, but you know you're 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 doing everything. And right. um, so it's a lifestyle.
0: Um, would you say, Edward, that a a part of that idea of it being a lifestyle is that you have more a little bit more flexibility and freedom to sort of schedule the rest of your life integrated oh, yeah. into that business that you you can sort of design your life a little bit more. You have less yeah. of a set schedule where you have to be in a chair for a certain number of hours, sure, certainly do what you want to do when you want to do it,
1: yeah, oh yeah, of uh, yes, and I think you know, those of us who are, you know, self-employed in any profession, like, you know, I mean, we, we probably work more than we, you know, or as much as we did when we worked for other companies, but we're not, you know, kind of tied to the clock. Um, And uh, uh, it's, and, you know, it is that, you know, I'm going to, I mean, my kids are grown, but if, you know, I'm going to go to my kid's soccer game today at four, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take my laptop home and I'm going to, you know, open it up at right. eight, eight o'clock and work on this, you know, yep. That, yep. that type of thing, you know, flex times there. I'm going to say this, um, I, it, you know, probably has to be said. Um, part of the lifestyle is, generally speaking, you will probably not make the same as a principal in a large firm, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I can keep going with that and saying, well, you know, as an architect, you might not make as much as a developer or someone in construction. Yeah, so, but, you know, but we all kind of make the choice.
0: You when know. you're working for yourself and you are the sole practitioner, there there is a ceiling. You can only take on so much work. You can only complete so much work. Um, and you can get very efficient at that and you can max it out to the best of its ability, but it will hit a ceiling and it will be what it is. and. And so there's some sacrifice to it, but there are also lots of, you know, non-financial benefits right that right. also play into that, which is what we're, I was just talking about more and in, more integrated life uh, with your family and your friends and your children and all the other things that come along in your in your lives. Um, and so the money is potentially limited. Um, and you just have to sort of accept that, that that's you know that's part of making this choice that if you're working alone, you're going to hit a ceiling. And uh, and really the only way to, to make more is to get better at what you do, right? Be more efficient well, more effective, build a better there's, brand.
1: There's that. I think you're talking about a couple of different things there, Mark. But yeah. you had Seth Godin on a few weeks ago and he talked about, as a writer, he's a freelancer. And that we, he said a lot of architects, he called us freelancers. Um, but he said, you know, you don't make more money by getting quicker and better. You don't make more money by hiring a lot of production, doing more work. You get more money by getting better clients. Yes. And that is my goal. That is, that is how I am choosing to grow my practice. I've had a few of these really good clients. I want more of them. I want nothing but them. Right. Um, I I want to be able to you know to turn the you know turn away you know the the ones that that you know don't want and and I will I won't have to turn them away they'll, they'll you know when I quote them a fee they'll right. say yeah right. yeah I'll talk to my wife and get back to you you know and um so uh that you know I I don't want to look at it like you know there's this there's this cap there's a ceiling You're, exactly we can right never Thank you. You, we can never get beyond that, and you know whatever you're making and you're you're by the time you're working steadily doing this thing it's it's never going to get any better i talk about growing inward in the book you know versus growing outward uh and growing inward is you know getting better clients getting better projects um being able to you know get people who really appreciate you who are willing to pay you more
0: yeah, thank you for that clarification. You're you're absolutely right, and that and that really goes back to branding, right? That that that's telling the right story, building a brand that attracts those specific clients and not attract the clients that you know we're looking for a cheap project. Um, and so there are ways to to earn more. And I just want a clarification. Seth Godin was on the Context and Clarity podcast, uh, not Entree Architect. We okay. had them. We had him at. The uh, the Entree Architect Facebook group. It was simulcast okay. there, and I'm that's sorry. what you're referencing is is uh, uh, the Context and Clarity podcast. Which, if you're listening, you should go subscribe. That's our other <laughs> podcast with Jeff Jeff uh, Eccles. Um, so we have time for one more takeaway. Well, What's the final? The, one,
1: takeaway? the last one I I, I have for is um, you have to chart your own course, and um, this is uh, this is something and, and you know and when I. When I meet with young architects um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, I'm an alum of Iowa State. I was part of a fraternity. Every now and then uh, the uh, chapter advisor gets a hold of, you know, will email and say, you know, we've got a couple of architects. Do you have, are you able to hire any of them? And I'll say, no, I, 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 it's just me, I'm not going to hire anyone, but I can, you know, I can certainly have lunch with a guy and talk to him about, you know, yeah. where to go with, with this, with this crazy profession. And I kind of came up with a little, you know, formula that that I wished I had followed. I, I didn't. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's basically, I tell them, um, you know, first of all, you know, chart your own course. Um, who do you work for? You work for you. you. That's who you work for. You work for you period you are in charge of of this, you know, of, of charting your course and kind of, you know, a rocky sea. I mean, architecture is is, you know it, it it's not a lineal profession. It can be. I'm reading uh Patrick McCleary's uh H O K bio and you know, here's a guy that started with a firm and grew with it. The firm grew and you yeah. know, I mean I mean uh it it can be but more and more I think you know due to the nature of you know how many small practices there are um you know a lot of people you, you go to work for a firm and it's a six person firm well, you're you're not in a you're not going to become a partner one day or it's very unlikely so you have to chart your own course so I came up with this little formula uh basically you know in your 20s you graduate you get your degree that's the time to explore try working at a large firm small firm Try different things out. Your 30s, you focus. Okay. You've spent your 20s exploring different career paths. You've discovered your strengths and how they can best be utilized. Now it's time to choose a path and focus your efforts. So that when you reach your 40s, you can be anchored. Okay. Now I kind of did that in my career. I wanted to get into education and but I didn't have a I didn't have a real clear path how to get there. And, and, you know, this, this formula works well when everything is working, but, you know, I've been through two major recessions and I can tell you that when you're in, you know, when you're in the midst of that, you're, you're more or less just surviving no matter who you are. And you, you may not get to work for who you want to, or, you know, or you, you may have a, a huge detour, um, in life, but, you know, basically, um, you work for yourself, Think of that. you're always working for yourself, and you're always thinking about how are you going to get to that place you want to be? If you want to work for a large firm, you know, try it out. I, I, I worked for an international 650 person firm in my 20s, hated it, um, but at least I tried it. You know I, knew, I I know what it's like to, to work for uh, one of those places. Um, try these things out in your 20s. Focus in your 30s so you can be anchored in your 40s.
0: Yeah, that's very good advice. I think that's a great framework for anybody uh, starting their career is to look at it that way in, in terms of sort of decades that your your 20s are all about exploring and taking chances and taking those risks that will be much more difficult to take when you as you get older and become a little bit more uh, um, uh, established and you know, potentially have families, those things get more difficult. So 20s are a great time to explore. Uh, and it gives you permission to sort of take those risks and not, you know, and not be so much in a rush to, to be rooted when you're 20, right? When you're in your 20s. Go out there and have fun, learn as much as you can, explore as much as you can, try all those different places. And so then in your 30s, you can start focusing. And so in your 40s, you, you'll have a really good, uh, strong foundation.
1: And I want to, I want to just say one last thing about that. Yeah. You may find yourself in your forties or your fifties and you're not grounded. You know, maybe you got laid off um, or, you know, or you've just had a, a, a success. You're, you're, you're not in the place. Um, I I just want to say, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're better than you think you are probably you went to architecture school, you got a license and you've got experience. Um, If you can, you know, maybe, maybe you start doing, you know, doing a sole practice and you, you, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking to you know, maybe the guy who's never done, you know, residential before. And, and, you know, there's kind of a perception that it's easier. I don't think it is, but um, you'll learn it, you know, and you can learn it because you, you, you know, architects aren't dummies, I mean they're they're not you know yep. um, and so you know you're capable of of learning, and you know you can kind of take control of you know if you find yourself uh, in a place that's that's not real real desirable you, you yeah. know, It's and i'm I'm living proof of that. so and that
0: goes back to your first takeaway that you're not alone. So if you yeah. do find yourself in that position where you're sort of you know floating out on the sea and you're not grounded. You're not rooted. You're not grounded. You're not sure. Um, find a group. Find a community. Find people yes. who you can connect with uh, because those are the people that will help you find your destination. Um, find one of these groups. Join Entree Architect community. Join the, the Soul practitioner uh, architects community and find a, a group of people who are who are in similar places or who may have been in similar places as you. Um, and it will help you. So, Ed, excellent takeaways. Thank you for that. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you the one question that we ask everybody. So what is one thing? If we, can, if we needed to focus on one thing that a small firm architect could take away today uh, to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that one thing be?
1: Well, I didn't, I didn't mention this, uh, but it would be to have a business or a financial plan, really to, to have that um we get asked a lot on in these forums you know how much should i charge and um boy that's a that's a loaded question you know and and it really um if you have if if you've really gone through the exercise of creating a financial plan and it you really has to tie into a household budget um you know so you know how much You know, I talk about how much you you want to make, how much you need to make. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, there's a big difference between those. And, uh, you know, at the very least, you need to know what you need to make. So have a business plan.
0: Yeah, very good advice. And you actually give them a framework in the book. So if if you are looking for a simple framework on how to put together a financial plan, get the book because it talks all about it. Uh, His name is Edward Shannon. The firm is Edward J. Shannon Architect. Uh, you can learn more about his architecture firm at edwardjshannon.com. You can learn more about Solo Architects and Soul Practitioner Architects uh, at soloarchitect.org. You can also learn more about the book there. You can join the Facebook group at Soul Practitioner Architects. You could search for it on Facebook, Soul Practitioner Architects. We'll have a link on that as well on the show notes. Uh, the book is... If you wanted to purchase the book, it's called The Soul Practitioner Architect. You hear a theme here, The Soul Practitioner Architect. Uh, A guide for the solopreneur, we'll have a link to that as well. You can buy that on Amazon. Um, And and I highly recommend it if you are a soul practitioner or if you are someone considering a soul practitioner um, business, you should go buy that book. It helps you uh, get all of your different, uh, sort of your ducks in a row right? It sort of talks about the whole experience uh, and how to put together a sole practitioner business. Uh, Edward, thank you. Thank you not only for um, coming here today on the podcast, but thank you for your dedication to the profession. Thank you for being such a an active contributing member of the Entree Architect community since the very beginning. Um, and thank you for starting your own community and starting your own Uh, a passion for sole practitioner architects and leading that community. Um, We need people like you in this profession to, to, you know, to lead, to take a, take a step and say, okay, I'm going to uh, be out there and be there for others. And I appreciate you for doing that. Uh, So thank you for that. And for, for being part of this podcast today at uh, Andre Architect podcast.
1: Thank you too, Mark. And like, I I'm thankful for everything, uh, you know, folks like you and Enoch Sears have, have, uh, have, and Jeff. You know, everyone who's really uh, helping small practices because you know there, there just wasn't a lot out there.
0: So, uh, very thankful. Yeah, you're you know. welcome. Thank you, Ed. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you could help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Arcat and FreshBooks for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitectcom slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go there now. And check out Entre Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA Continuing Education Learning Units. Yep, they are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit EntreeArchitect.com join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know.